will be in Colossians 2. Colossians 2, verses 6 through 10. But we'll go ahead and read from verses 6 through 15. Colossians 2, verse 6. Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in Him, rooted and built up in Him and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy and empty deceit, according to human tradition, according to the elemental spirits of the world, and not according to Christ. For in Him the whole, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in Him, who is the head of all rule and authority. In Him also you were circumcised with a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with Him in baptism, in which you also were raised with Him through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made, together, God made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This He set aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing, triumphing over them in Him. Father, Help us now as we have this word and as our brother has just prayed. May our eyes be open to receive whatever your spirit would have uh, be spoken through me. But most importantly, Father, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable before your eyes, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. To be quite honest, brothers and sisters, a lot of what we will see tonight is a repetition of previous messages. But this is okay, I hope, because Christ's sufficiency is always something that we need to have drilled further into our souls. Amen? Amen. All right. Well then, let me open with an illustration. During the time of the New Testament, there were these large villas where royals or or wealthier families lived. These looked very similar to what the temple garden would have looked like. It was a common sight to see members of these families strolling around the courtyard, enjoying the evening breeze. It was a common sight, an idyllic one, I must. As a member of this family, you enjoyed the benefits of walking before royals and, and families of great honor. You were sure of your peace in this home. It was the idyllic scene of the ancient world. In the first chapter, in the beginning of the second Colossians, Paul prayed and labored that the Colossians would walk worthy of Christ. This Christ, who is the divine Redeemer, who had brought them into God's heavenly temple, God's villa, we could say, through His death and resurrection into heaven. Though the Colossians still lived in a fallen world, they were to understand themselves as strolling before God in heaven, enjoying the benefits of their union with Christ on His temple throne. They could stroll in peace. As we have seen, false teachers were diminishing this idyllic vision. The Colossians weren't to count themselves as in the temple. 
They are on the outside, needing to enter by the false teacher's system of beliefs and practices. Ultimately, they could not be sure of their peace. Likewise, there are many lies today that say we need to enter or remain in Christ's temple, Christ's presence through our own efforts, rather than solely resting in Christ and His work. But hear this, brothers and sisters, and this is our main point. Hear this. We walk secured because Christ is sufficient. We walk secured because Christ is sufficient. For tonight, Paul calls us to walk secured because Christ is solid and Christ is central. Our two points. We walk secure because Christ is solid and Christ is central. So for our first point. We walk secure because Christ is solid. In verses 6 to 8, Paul contrasts walking in Christ with walking in the false teacher's laws. Last time we saw that Christ is the riches and treasures of God's wisdom and salvation. He is the revealed glory of Yahweh that the Colossians receive through the apostolic ministry. And so in response, in verse 6, they are to walk in Christ. And they are to walk just as they have been united to Christ in their initial reception. They are now to live in Him in the same way, united to Christ and at peace. Our lives should be as a content stroll before God, enjoying that evening breeze. We are to be living lives in the peace of Christ's gospel. And verse 7 shows us what this walk looks like. It is a walk that is rooted and built up in Christ. These are architectural and agricultural metaphors. The imagery of strolling in a temple garden should come to our minds. In union with Christ, in Him, we are those who live and walk among God's temple garden. And the imagery progresses in the next phrase, establish in the faith, just as you were taught. The apostolic gospel was taught to the Colossians. It is this apostolic faith or tradition that is the very foundation upon upon which we walk. And the only response to Christ and His saving work is thanksgiving. We are to abound in thanksgiving. Praise was to come from inside of Christ's temple courts. But in verse 8, we see a contrast to the command to walk in Christ. We are to be vigilant against those belief systems that would take us captive from walking in Christ's temple. The false teachers had a philosophy. Their philosophy is their belief that we prepare ourselves for God's presence and not solely resting in Christ. Ultimately, it was the philosophy of self-sufficiency. This philosophy is personified as a kidnapper coming in to steal us away from our home, to steal us away from God's villa. Paul shows that their philosophy is empty deceit for three reasons. First, it is based on the tradition of man, not the apostolic faith that they had received. Second, their philosophy is based on worldly doctrine, what we call the elemental spirits of the world, Just another way of saying worldly doctrine. Doctrine that is associated with a fallen world. And then third and most vitally, the tradition of men and worldly doctrine stand in opposition to Christ. 
Their philosophy is not according to Christ alone. Rather than the solid foundation of Christ, these false teachers were deceiving the church with empty promises of a better place to walk and to live. That's what they were selling. In contrast to the empty lies of false teachers, the Colossians were to walk secure in Christ because Christ is rock solid. There is no better foundation than Christ. We are to abound in thanksgiving because we walk secure in Christ's temple. And the praise, this vision of walking in Christ's temple, walking in the foundation upon which Christ has built for us in the Gospel, the praise that we are to bring from this place, it reminds me of how the sons of Korah sang of the temple courts in their day. In Psalm 84, we see that as servants who walked in the courtyard of the temple, they petitioned the Lord to bless them and to look upon them with favor. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper, a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness, of false lies. So it is for the Colossians. Our union with Christ is a solid hope that we can walk secure before God right now. It far surpasses the false teacher's belief that we can possibly get to God on our own. Indeed, to dwell in the sufficient Christ is far better than the flimsy lies of self-sufficiency. Brothers and sisters, hear this. Nothing can compare to Christ and His Gospel. So he heed Paul's exhortation. Walk in the gospel. Live in the gospel. How often we need to repeat that refrain. Just as we have received Christ, walk in Him. Live in Him. Far too many begin in Christ. They know Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. They receive God's justifying and sanctifying grace through faith. They are declared righteous, holy, repenting of sin, and trusting Christ all the way. But something happens. They get invited to some Bible study by a friend or start listening to new teachers. They hear something that sounds biblical, but it is worldly doctrines based on the traditions of men. In order to remain in Christ, I need to secure myself. I need to be obedient to stay upon this gospel foundation. As Paul says elsewhere, those who fall for this lie, they have begun by the Spirit, but now they are being perfected in the flesh. As soon as those lies penetrate, We can no longer walk freely and joyfully in God's court. We become frantic 
fearing every step might be the wrong one. We ultimately become fearful captives to our own self-sufficiency. Brothers and sisters, this is not being firmly established in the faith. Self-sufficiency doesn't produce thanksgiving as as Christ's gospel does. Self-sufficiency produces misery and despair. So what gospel are you walking on, dear brother and dear brother and sister? Dear Christian, is your life marked by a fear that God will say to you, not good enough? If that is your life as a Christian, then you are not rooted and being built up in Christ's gospel. You're being built up in a gospel of your own worth, your own self-sufficiency, your own glory. Dear brothers and sisters, hear this. The law says, do this. But Christ's gospel proclaims to you, it is finished. The law condemns sinners, but the gospel frees sinners. The law shakes the sinner from self-sufficiency, but the gospel places sinners, sinners upon a solid rock on which we all can stand. All other ground is sinking sand. So what does a life lived in the gospel look like? It looks like steadfast contentment in Christ and His work. Brothers and sisters, we walk secure in Christ, believing His promise of the forgiveness of sins and the newness of life. That's what we believe. In Christ, we are holy priests, walking in the breeze before God in His heavenly abode. And He smiles upon us. He has favor upon us. This is true contentment. This is true security. This is true peace. And it's only in this blessed condition that we can grow and be built up, giving praise to the Lord. When sin comes into your life, yes, God sees it. He sees your sin. He sees your brokenness. He sees your failures. He sees your outright rebellion. He sees it. There should be shame and remorse. But dear brother and dear sister, you are in no better place to find forgiveness and relief. Do not leave the temple of Christ to wash your hands in the pagan pool of self-sufficiency. Don't believe the lie. You will not be cleansed. Only in Christ there is a stream of living water that can make the foulest clean. In Christ, the failing saint can confess finding renewal and strength and comfort. Brothers and sisters, the allure of the false teachers, their lie, the allure of that lie comes from that same impulse that Adam and Eve had when they first sinned against the Lord. You know the story. They fled from His presence, looking to prepare themselves with the work of their own hands. Big leaves. 
But our God called out their name to come before His holy presence. Where is the man that I have made? He calls out to Adam to, yes, address his sin. To deal with his sin. But His holy presence comes to the sinner to ultimately redeem them, does He not? In His grace, God revealed the promise of the Gospel to the frantic Adam. Brothers and sisters, we have no need to fret. Our God is gracious. That is what we should see. Our God is gracious to sinners, such as you and I. Our God has given us a Christ to rest our frantic souls in Him. In Christ, we can live before God in restful, life-giving contentment. Christ is a solid foundation to rest our fragile souls, to walk secure in Him, because our God is gracious towards sinners. There is no better foundation, brother and sister. There is no better place to walk. So walk secure in Christ. No other, not even yourself, will satisfy. Moving on. We walk secure because Christ is solid. The Colossians were not to believe the false teacher's self-sufficiency. And the reason is given in the following verses, which brings us to our second point. Walk secure because Christ is central. Walk secure because Christ is central. In verses 9 and 10, Christ's temple presence results in His people's confidence against false teachers. Back in verses 15 to 20, we saw Christ's preeminence both in the old and new creation, right? He is preeminent in the new creation because of His resurrected humanity, His body. It acts as the new end-time temple. As Paul said, in Him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, verses, verse 19. And as we said there, this is an allusion to Psalm 68, where other mountains of pagan nations are jealous of Zion, where God was pleased to dwell there at His temple. God's presence at the temple mount was the central reality of Israel's life. It was the central focus of their religion. And now Paul is applying the same reality to Christ in verse 9. Believers are to disregard the false teacher's claim to the heavenly temple because Christ's body is the true temple. In union with Christ, we participate in the eschatological dwelling presence of God. Quite a mouthful, but it's just simply saying, where God is and where we will be, we have that now. Christ is the central temple where God's presence is found. And the Colossians are to walk in Him, not in the lies that deny this reality. And now in verses 10 to 11, we see three effects or results of God's dwelling presence in Christ. First, the church is filled in Him, 10a. Second, Christ becomes the head of all rule and authority, 10b. And then third, in Christ, God performs a spiritual circumcision and baptism upon His people. We will look at this third one next week. This is why this is a part one. I couldn't fit all that in. Uh, I definitely could not fit all that in uh, in this sermon. 
Uh, But we will look at that third result next week in verses 11 through 15. But let's look at those first two results of Christ's temple dwelling. First, if deity fills Christ's humanity, then all those united to Christ will be filled with this same deity, and you have been filled in Him, as our text says. This does not mean that we become divine, of course, but we do become partakers of the divine nature. As Christ as the cornerstone, the church is the living temple of God in whom the presence of God dwells. As we know from Ephesians, God reveals His glory through the church so that the manifold wisdom of God might be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. As members of Christ's true temple, we are filled with true heavenly glory. We don't need the lies of false teachers to puff us up into heaven because heaven has come to us in Jesus. And second, Christ's divine presence as the temple results in Him being the head of all rule and authority. As we saw in chapter 1, as the divine Creator, Christ is head over all rulers and dominions, even over spiritual principalities. Verse 10 restates this point that we saw a few weeks ago. But as we will see in verse 15, His headship, and this is important, Christ's headship in verse 10, it is His claim to victory over all of His enemies. Here being sin, Satan, and death. He has triumphed over them. In connection to the temple, we should understand Christ's resurrection and ascension as His enthronement on the temple mount after defeating all of His enemies. Again, in Psalm 68, there are many enemies that stand in opposition to Zion against Yahweh Himself. In that psalm, Yahweh's dwelling presence occurs once His enemies are defeated. As the text, as that psalm says, Yahweh ascended on high, leading a host of captives in your train and receiving gifts among men, even among the rebellious, that the Lord may dwell there in Zion. So here's the idea. Christ's exalted humanity is His enthronement on the temple throne. In Christ's resurrection, He led us captives free. And those spiritual opposing forces must bend their knee to Him now because He is seated on His throne. Brothers and sisters, as the living temple of Christ, we, the church, reflect the glory of God to the world. And the glory that He reveals is a unique kind of glory. It is a glory of victory. It is a kingly glory. It's an enthroned glory. All of creation, all spiritual powers, powers bow before Christ and His heavenly Zion because Christ reigns supreme over them. Christ is the very center of the cosmos. Christ is the very center and His glory is over all others. And the church reflects this same glory to the world. The Colossians do not need to heed the empty glory of opposing spiritual forces. In Christ, we radiate a superior, victorious glory over all. And so in Christ, we have a far more sufficient glory 
than the lies of false teachers. Now, brothers and sisters, this point seems so simple to us, doesn't it? Of course, Jesus has a better glory than false teachers. Of course, He has a better glory than demonic, opposing spiritual forces. Of course. He's God. He's the risen and victorious Messiah. We know this story, how? But remember the context of Paul writing this letter. The false teachers promoted a lifestyle that their outward actions adorned. They had these captivating lifestyles, empowered, so to speak, by spiritual forces. It certainly seemed impressive to the Colossians. Maybe there is something to these teachers. And look at the church. The apostle who is writing this letter doesn't seem so victorious. This apostle doesn't seem so glorious. He's in jail. Paul and his church don't seem to be at the center of the cosmos as he claims to be. They seem to be at the bottom rung. Brothers and sisters, we see this same spirit today. When we play the comparison game, Christ's church doesn't always look so great, does she? Numbers are dwindling nationally. There's another scandal every month. And there are countless stories of broken churches over the most trivial matters. Is the church really filled with glory? Doesn't seem like it. Seems like she's filled with embarrassment. Imagine you see all this in the church and you start to hear those voices from the outside. They say that they have found freedom from just walking away, getting away from the church. They have lifestyles that you may even envy. More money, more time. We know how much uh, a church can cut into our budget. We know how much time and, and resources a church demands. Looks nice to have a little bit more money. More time. Maybe not as many social constraints that you kind of just do because the other members do it too, or they expect it, right? Those outside voices may not claim spiritual powers. They offer a spirit of relief, a spirit of freedom, a spirit of being what I want to be. Oh, you could start to hear the Glory, glories, hallelujah coming out from those who speak these lies. Brothers and sisters, these are the, the, the problems and the lies the church faces today. And make no mistake, those voices on the outside, those voices that make you look at the church and become skeptical in your heart, really question what's really going on there. What's really going on among Christ's body. Those voices that get you to linger just a bit too long about the church's sins, the church's ways. Let me be quite clear. Those outside lies had the stench of hell on their breath. 
these demonic voices are trying to place you and you alone at the center. And if we start to believe that lie, then we are doomed. So then, dear brothers, dear sisters, hear this. Do not fall prey to their lies. Because Jesus, the true center, He has defeated them. The church of Jesus Christ is glorious. Let me repeat that again. The church of Jesus Christ is glorious. Not because of who we are in and of ourselves. Make no mistake. We are glorious, dear brothers and sisters, because we are filled with the presence of God. Christ's church radiates Christ's victory over the cosmos. He has defeated sin, Satan, and death. Nothing can take away His glory. So do not believe those lies that would dare diminish Christ or His church that radiates His glory. Oh, that is a very serpentine lie that we hear today. Spirit of freedom. Spirit of critique. The spirit of, hmm, really? Is this really what it's all about? Oh, smell the stench of hell from that lie. Brothers and sisters, our, our Christ, He's glorious. And it's by radiating His true glory, by radiating His victorious Defeat against sin, Satan, and the world. This is where we find our joy. This is where we find our peace. This is where we find our comfort. Yes, we must face the reality of our sins and failures. But it is far better to be a failure in Christ than a victor in this world alone. Therefore, dear brother and dear sister, Be confident in Christ. Be confident in your status in Christ. You have a true glory that will never fade. Why? Because Christ's glory never fades. You have a King who will never be dethroned from the center. So walk in Christ, knowing that you are God's royalty adorned in His robes of righteousness. Walk in Christ knowing that you reflect a glory that is above all others. Even those lies that seem so tempting, oh, they will be demolished on the last day. Walk in Christ, dear brother, dear sister, rejoicing that He is King and none other, not even yourself. So in conclusion, we walk secure because Christ is solid. Self-sufficiency will only produce a frantic heart, not the solid peace that Christ provides. And we walk secure because Christ is central. As His church, we reflect the victorious glory of our risen King. He far surpasses the lies of self-sufficiency 
and the lies of the spiritual forces that work in our age. Next time, we will see more reasons for why we ought to walk secure in Christ. But surely, as we, as we have seen enough to enjoy our walk in Christ tonight. Oh, brothers and dear sisters, know that you can walk confident and secure. If that you are walking in Christ, there is no better place to be found than in Him. There is no greater joy to be a member of Christ's church because we radiate His glory to this lost and dying world. Oh, brothers and sisters, as we said at the beginning, indeed how good it is to dwell and repeat and repeat and repeat Christ's sufficiency for sinners. May we rest in glory in Him alone. Let us pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. For it does not return void, even though it's a message we have heard again and again from these passages. Father, as we look and behold Christ in all of His glory, as we look and behold a gracious Savior who is able to save us from our frantic self-sufficiency, Help us, O Father, we pray, that you would have our frantic souls rest in Christ, and that as we rest upon him, secured and walking in him alone, Lord, may we radiate your victorious glory to all the world, knowing that those frantic souls out there, that those lost frantic souls might find a place, a home, in which they can walk secured content and happy in your gospel. Oh, Father, we pray that we would be your vessels to display that glorious gospel to others. We ask all this in your Son's holy and perfect name. Amen.